Tonight, in a building that many consider to be haunted, we are thrilled to welcome paranormal investigator Amy Bruni to the program. Absolutely we are, Amy Bruni. As a primary cast member and investigator on Sci-Fi's flagship program, Ghost Hunters, from 2008-2014, she has lectured at colleges and led investigations across the country, including... One in this very building, yes. the Absolutely. Phoenix Theater. Yeah. So we say welcome, Amy. Well, welcome, and, and actually welcome back, Amy. Oh, yes. I am a Phoenix alumni, yes, I guess. Yes, you are. Years. Oh, you are. I spent many, many hours in oh, this building. You caught some of the best shows ever here. Right? I really did. Yeah. It's crazy. I thought back to it of some of the bands I saw here, and I was a very lucky teenager. Uh, yeah, well, a, what were the years you spent here about? Well, not to date myself, but um, I would say probably 1991 to 94, 95 were like my main years. And then I would come back occasionally once I graduated and stuff. Did your relationship with the Phoenix have anything to do with you getting into your fascination with paranormal activity? Oh, definitely. I mean, I started at a very young age, probably when I was eight or nine years old, I was looking for ghosts. I had a very unconventional upbringing. (laughs) And so I remember hearing stories about the Phoenix when I was in junior high and high school. And Tom was always really wary about discussing these stories. (laughs) And and I felt like some people were legitimately scared of what was in this building and they felt like if they didn't talk about it it was this kind of level of respect given to it but I heard some stories over the years and I spent a lot of time in the building virtually alone sometimes Tom is very trusting (laughs) and so um, I climbed up into the attic I went to the basement I was on the roof and um, I didn't have any crazy experiences here until I actually investigated it years later in 2010 but it was you know it was always spooky. That upstairs women's bathroom always got Correct. me. Correct. <laughs> that's, that's been the one forever. So you've been fascinated with paranormal activity since about eight or nine, you say? Oh, yeah. I, I think a good way to delve into that topic would be to first define exactly what is paranormal activity to just the total layperson, but then kind of interweave it with the skepticism that you encounter. Oh, yeah. I mean... Basically, paranormal is not normal. It's activity that you can't explain. And and I think that people assume that we blame it all on ghosts. And we really don't. We're always trying to find another explanation for it. Because there are a lot of rational explanations for strange things you might encounter. You know, high electromagnetic fields are responsible for people feeling paranoid and hallucinating. And sometimes feeling like there's, you know, something there that's not. Um, and so we always look at stuff like that first. And so I always want to let people know that it's not necessarily something you need to be afraid of right away. There could be a very legitimate explanation. But if you can't explain it, if at the end of the day you're still shaking your head and you've really put a lot of rational thought into it, there could be something there. I mean, there's some things you can't deny. If you see a full-bodied apparition walk across the Phoenix Theater right now, we're going to know we just saw a ghost. But it's not always that easy. And you've encountered things that on the nose in terms of paranormal activity. Absolutely. And I just got in a big discussion with someone about this because they assumed every ghost is transparent and translucent. And the ones I've seen look like you and me. They're very solid. They look like a person. And the only way you know that they're not is usually when they walk into something or if they disappear in front of you or they end up somewhere where they should be or you know so it's it's tough because we could be walking around ghosts all day we wouldn't know it really Mm -hmm. then i would ask tom do you believe uh well i i do with uh reservations uh again because as amy knows amy was here at one of the best times uh, to be here to understand the level of, of pranksterism that was going on in this building at the time. And it's been like that my entire life down here. So while I've seen things and heard things and felt things, uh, I always leave a little back door open for the fact that somebody is joking me. Um, it, it, it is possible. Uh, but at the same time, there's been so many cool things that have happened down here that, that, that have left me wondering that have been really tough for us to explain. So I'm also willing to absolutely believe that there is, is something there besides us. 
Does heaven and hell play a role in someone becoming a ghost? I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of friends who consider themselves to be psychic mediums, and I I feel as though if you're going to entertain the notion of ghosts, then you kind of have to entertain the notion that some people might have a sixth sense and be open to things like that. And they tell me that a lot of ghosts or spirits are people who have actually moved on, but they kind of check back in every once in a while. So whether they're going to heaven or hell, I can't say. Um, I'm not a particularly religious person, but... I've had many instances when I'm investigating and they will ask me to pray for them. And I've heard them say it out loud. I've had them communicate it to me with knocks and things. And so they ask for it. So I don't know if that necessarily means that they were so entrenched in religion in their life that they still have faith in it and they need that prayer or if that actually means there is something to God in heaven and hell. So maybe they believe and you don't. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I will always pray for them because I, it's not my place to deny them just because I'm not a particularly religious person. It's a very easy thing for me to do and I'll mean it. But it does say something that they ask for it a lot. So you've heard people now in, in all oh, the, yes. in your investigations, you guys are actually getting some good sound hits. and Oh, yes. And you'll know it. I mean, I'm sure you've heard voices in this place mm. and you realize no one is here but it's tough because you have this door right here always that there's people outside and you kind of have to be realistic about what's coming from outside but I've had instances where I've heard a voice and it's coming from where someone's mouth would be if they were there and it's one of the eeriest experiences you can have is to hear a voice literally come out of thin air and your body it's it's just your body knows it's wrong and the feeling you get is just like wait a minute what just happened Um, but I've heard many voices and again we're just kind of going over like the basic questions that one might (laughs) have before we delve deeper do you believe that everyone becomes a ghost I I don't Uh, only because I've had I've lost a lot of people over the years and yeah. some of them, yeah, we have. Yeah, <laughs> and we have. and I, I feel like I've not seen or heard from them ever again. And I feel like they're, they're truly gone in that they, I don't think it means that they don't love us anymore or anything like that. I just think it means they were very ready to move on and maybe they've gone on to the next life or, or yeah. whatever. But um, some people come back and some don't. And I wish I knew why, because some of them make no sense. You know, it's not always unresolved issues or a traumatic death or there's just some people who come back and, and I wish I knew why. In your experience, do you believe that ghosts are everywhere or do they tend to pick places like the Phoenix, like Alcatraz, like all the hundreds of places you've likely been doing this? Uh, I would say, I don't know that they're everywhere. Like I don't think that they're at Lucky's, but I mean, they, I think they do tend to gravitate toward places where memories were made. And so I do think they come back to places like the Phoenix, schools, jail, hospitals, um, you know, like Alcatraz, for example. It seems many entities that we find in jails and prisons, it's almost this self-imposed sentence where they feel like they didn't serve enough time in life. And so they've stuck themselves there still and then places like the phoenix it's almost as though people check back in and i could see why they would want to it's it's a second family and so i don't know that every place is but i'd say any place that would make a a good memory of some sort yes so your pre-ghost hunters path it reminds me a lot of uh, many of the people we've had on this show musicians and the wrestlers and artists people who followed a passion for no money just because they loved it and then through, you know, you know, sticking with it and just keeping on it, made it a career. Right. Can you tell us about kind of how the, the path before Ghost Hunters, which is how you became nationally known, like what led you there and what did you do? Yeah, because you know what? And that's what a lot of people would like to know. How do you become a professional ghost hunter? <laughs> you don't. You don't. <laughs> don't ever assume it will be a career because it's, it's, I'm one in a million, literally. It's, it was always, it was never something I ever intended to do for a living. It was a hobby. It was an expensive hobby. Um, even when I was here in junior high and high school, I it was a closeted hobby. I didn't tell a lot of people about it. I was kind of the weird ghost girl. And uh, I went on in life and I had a very professional career. I was a project manager. I had an office and benefits and, you know, lived a very normal life. And um, But on the side, I produced a podcast, a paranormal podcast. And that's how I met Jane Grant from Ghost Hunters because they liked what I was doing with my show. 
And so they were producing a radio show, so they asked me to produce theirs. So I started doing that, and then they asked me to come out on the show. And I was like, no, are you insane? Like, I'm not leaving this this job where I'm making decent money for the first time in my life. I got a good day gig. <laughs> yeah, to go chase ghosts on a reality television yeah. show. And this was season three, I thought. And I, you know, I was like, this cannot go on. There's no way. Uh, and then I went through some personal stuff. I got divorced, and I was, you know, at this stage in my life where I was still young, Ish. I'm still young. Yeah, early thirties, <laughs> I mean, late twenties. Yes, yes, I'm yeah. still young. But, yeah. but you know, how old are you now? If you don't mind, I'm 38. Okay. So yeah. yeah, that's young. Yeah. So I it was early thirties, and so I thought, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to do this. They they brought me out on a couple cases in California, and then I never went home again. Seven years later, wow. I was still on the road, and it's almost like a musician because we literally would be on the road for nine weeks at a time, home for a week pack up our gear, go from city to city. It was like being in a band without like the yep. sex and drugs and rock and roll. <laughs> That's why you can keep doing it. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. And you went across the country. <laughs> yes. Did you ever go international? Uh, well, to Canada, but no. Hey, that counts. <laughs> there was a spinoff, uh, Ghost Hunters International, yeah. uh, that lasted for a few seasons, and their schedule was even more grueling than ours. Wow. So uh, Ghost Hunters is sort of the like the preeminent one, I yes. would say. I mean, mm-hmm. it's sci-fi's flagship program, yeah. and a lot of stuff There's has been, sort of... Yeah, a lot of spinoffs from that. Spun mm-hmm. off. Whether yeah. directly in that family, or I'm sure other people are producing and doing oh, yeah, and trying definitely. to do it. Yeah. But but Ghost Hunters is like the one, you know. Yes. And the podcast that you produced, they took notice of it, and and then you were asked to come yes. and be on it. I mean, we became good friends before that because they were very. Um they they had to trust you before they were going to ask you to come out with them. It's it was not a show that was cast, save for a few later editions, but mostly it was just a close knit group of friends who were all total paranormal nerds and trusted each other. Cool. And they, and so that's where it was at. And they were a part. These people were a part of the Atlantic Paranormal Society. Yes, and yes. what is the Atlantic Paranormal Society? It was just a, a paranormal team started, and I think that Jay started it in the early '90s. Jason Hawes, who's one of the founders of Taps, and Uh, He started in the early 90s in Rhode Island, which Hollywood for ghost hunters is New England. You know, it's where (laughs) all the old haunted buildings are, which is why I live there now. So much history. Yeah. And and that's where they started. And they had a uh, article written about them in the New York Times. And it was just these guys were plumbers by day. And at night they went out and helped families who thought their houses were haunted. And a couple production companies took notice and they started making offers to them. And then the show happened. So... <laughs> so weird. How is that to be a TV star, to be recognizable and all of that? Uh, I'm very fortunate in that most of the time I'm on TV, I'm in IR, which is, it, I look completely different in real like life. <laughs> so I, I get spotted usually two or three times a day. Um, nothing crazy. That's assuming I've left the house. <laughs> and, um, nothing crazy. I don't get mobbed or anything. People are very respectful. The online stuff can get weird, like, in, you know, people want to know about my personal life a lot, and that can get strange. You, you have the perfect level of fame, though, right? Because you you have been on television, and that's neat. But it is nichey when you look at like what else is on TV, you know. Oh, yeah. So it's not like everybody in the world, which is nice because you can live a life. Yeah. But yes. it's still nice to be recognized sometimes for your work, you know. And that's kind of cool. Yes. And well, my thing is, people when they recognize me, they are usually mega fans, and it can either be incredibly awkward or it can be joyful or it can be really intense yeah, and sometimes yeah, right. they want to tell me their most heartfelt things and I've had people just break into tears yes. in the middle of the grocery store telling me their stories and that just tells me the level of trust they've put into yeah. me as a person yes. just by what they see of me an hour a week on TV which is crazy but I appreciate it for sure. Obviously belief in paranormal activity can arouse very strong emotions mm-hmm. one way or the other. There's two examples of it that I wanted to bring up. There's the there's the non-believers who are very very passionate mm-hmm. and then there's the believers who are very very passionate. You Instagrammed a photo of a McDonald's Ouija board. <laughs> yeah. And you uh, received a strong uh, reaction to that. Yes, there, it was insane. There was rebuking. Was it insane? Well, let's hear. What, what was the context? For well, it, it was um, someone. It was just before Halloween. It was two or three weeks before Halloween. <laughs> I 
love Ouija boards and I don't use them because I find them to be kind of antiquated in the whole ghost hunting thing. I can use, you know, they more modern me. things. <laughs> well, and that's just it. Historically yeah. speaking, Ouija boards were not viewed as anything scary until the exorcist came out. And before that, they were a parlor game. You know, there's a Norman Rockwell painting. It's like the Saturday evening post or something. It's the cover. And it's two, you know, a boy and a girl with a Ouija board. And it was an excuse for them to like have their knees touch in the dark. And it was wasn't a scary thing and then the exorcist happened <laughs> and so for me I'm a, I'm hugely into spiritualism and you know the uh, beginning of paranormal investigation and Ouija boards or spirit boards talking boards were a big part of that so I collect them I have a ton of them vintage old beautiful hand-painted ones and oh. so I just saw this painting online this guy did of a Ouija board happy meal which I thought was hysterical and the, the toy was a little planchette and so I posted it on my Instagram and I said, look at this year's McDonald's Halloween Happy Meal. Winky, you know, I put a winky face. <laughs> Come on, people. <laughs> it was a winky face. It's winky. <laughs> and the, the people are just so terrified of those things. And I mean, if you think about it, there's millions of them out there. There's yes. pink ones in Toys R Us right now on the shelves. Oh, yes. There's the glow in the dark ones. They're... They're everywhere. So if there was any truth to the fact that they conjured demons, we would be pretty overrun by now, I feel like. That's a good point. Um, So I think that it's more intent than anything. But that being said... Uh, I did receive death threats. Death threats? Oh, yes. I had people uh, wish horrible things on me and my family. And I thought, this is so ironic because you're saying how horrible these things are, (laughs) but you're saying really bad things. Really horrible things. Yeah, yeah. So it was, and I was just passing on a joke. The, um, the guy who created that painting, he actually has a whole was killed. line. Yeah, he, he's gone. <laughs> he made a uh, an Amy Bruni Happy Meal after that as a as an I'm sorry, and oh. I am I am immortalized on Snopes.com now because I started this whole rumor just for posting that. <laughs> Fantastic! That's he made an Amy Bruni Happy Meal. Yes, it was oh. very sweet. So, how many people do you know with their own Happy Meal? Really? Yeah, right. Very few. <laughs> Well, that wasn't a scream. I think no, that, that, was that a scream? Was that a ghost? No, but I'm telling you, that's the randomness of the Ouija thing. You know, here at the Phoenix, because, yeah, every generation, some some little kid will say, great, I'm going to bring a Ouija board. No, the rule here is we don't invite any spirit that's already not here. Right. We let them invite themselves. Exactly. So no Ouija boards in yes, the Phoenix. Yes. But you do take it seriously. People accused you of not taking it seriously, and they wanted to kill you for it, <laughs> yeah. which wow. is reasonable, of course. Um, <laughs> but you were filming in some... September 2012, when you were pregnant with your daughter. Oh, yes. And you uh, walked off of a set because you had fear of a spirit attaching itself to your unborn child. Yeah, and that actually, that was um, a media thing taken a little too far. What happened with that was we were investigating an old jail in Charleston, South Carolina. And um, one of our production coordinators was getting scratched. And... I was never afraid for me or my child because whatever was there wasn't messing with me. And I, I don't believe in any of that. I mean, if I, if, if everyone worried about ghosts attaching to their babies, then really you just shouldn't leave the house when you're pregnant because you never know when you're going to stumble into a place where there's a ghost. So I, um, I really wasn't worried, but at that point it was three in the morning. It was the end of the night. She was getting scratched a bunch. I when was, you say scratched, like a creature, something a paranormal was creature. Her. They was were just her. appearing on her body, wow. and um, she'd been kind of getting picked on the whole night by whatever was in there. And in the absence of anything else, I've been scratched before, and uh, there was nothing else going on that would lead me to believe it was truly some sort of negative type entity. It was just a grumpy ghost, as I call them, <laughs> but. It was three in the morning. I was very pregnant and very tired. And I thought, you know, this is a good time for me to exit this <laughs> this investigation. <laughs> it got played up on the show so dramatically. And then the media grabbed hold of it. And they I never said I was afraid of anything attaching to my baby. But that was their interpretation of it. It was just kind of, you know, in an abundance of caution, I'm going to step away from this. Just because there is something that's in there that seems a little negative And who well, knows? So that's what, it, it. what is the most physically violent you've seen uh, a paranormal creature well, get? Or violent or just physical? Uh, well, I've had... Uh, I've had, there was one instance in the, it was in Cooperstown, New York, the Otis, Otisaga Hotel. 
uh, I was in a room upstairs and I had a piece of crown molding get ripped off the wall and thrown at me. And I could actually hear the nails being pulled out of the wall (laughs) and it was kind of this whole thing led up to it but uh that was one of the more i had a two by four thrown at me in the um the carriage house at the stanley hotel in estes park colorado okay Um, yeah yeah and i mean they're they're mad some of them don't want to talk to you and that's what i always tell people you know if they don't want to talk to you don't force it i tell them you know you're, you're going into this situation and pretend like you're going into a party and you don't know anybody and talk to them that way be friendly be personable and if they don't want to talk don't force it because yeah. it's not really kind. <laughs> so when the crown molding got yanked and thrown at you, did you guys get that on film? No, this is what happened. I was actually leading a, a, an investigation there, very much like I did at the Phoenix oh, okay. a few years ago. Yeah. And uh, I had never investigated the fifth floor, but the owners of this hotel claimed that was where the most activity was. So I had a good friend with me who's a demonologist who works with the Vatican, and um, I asked him to do a walkthrough with me up there because... I wanted to be familiar with it before I brought the public up there. So we were walking by this room and we both just felt it. You could just feel something was not happy in that room. So we open the door, we get in this room and it's probably 85 degrees and it's minus 17 outside. Right. Heat. Yeah, absolutely. And it was so hot. And I thought, is it the heater? I checked the heater. It was not on. And and he said, you know, Adam told me, he said, Adam Bly is his name. His website's religiousdemonology.com. If you want to freak yourself out, don't read it at like midnight and try to go to sleep after. But, um, he, uh, he said, yeah, something in here is upset you know, why don't you try to talk to it? So I had a talk with it and I said, Hey, I'm going to be bringing some people up here. None of them have any oh, ill man. intent. They just want to talk to you. Right. Um, you're not, we're not going to force you to do anything. This is just really your chance to get your story out there, whatever it is. And Adam says, I, I think you, I think you did something. I think you helped. And I said, okay, good. So we both stand oh. up to leave. And right then the crown molding comes ripping off the wall wow. and thrown right in front of me. And that was, I looked at Adam. I said, I thought you said it was okay. No, he said you did something. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, I want to bring that up. I don't notice cold. Mm-hmm. I notice heat. Yeah. I notice uh, stale air. Uh, stifling air, mm-hmm. um, but I've never really felt the cold when I think I'm feeling something. And like. you and you bring up the cold because some people reference yeah, the cold. Usually they reference the fact that the, it takes so much energy to uh, to make themselves uh, uh, present that it actually sucks some of the heat from the room. And, yeah, they say there's a cold spot. I felt yeah. cold spots, but I have felt warm spots as well. And I I don't know why that is. There there are temperature fluctuations yeah. that happen when something is manifesting occasionally. I feel more warmth. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm thinking I'm in an area that's got a weird feeling and there might be something there, I actually feel more warmth than, than cold. I do too. I feel more, like you said, stifled. stifled. I feel like the air is thick. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And aside that doesn't really have to do with you personally, but I'm interested about it, uh, the guy that was in the room with you, you say that he has studied the Vatican? Oh, no, he works with the Vatican. He works with the Vatican. He's the only, um, there are terms for all of these things, and I, I don't know, but his website goes into detail. He's actually a psychologist, and he started working with the Vatican on cases, and they've sort of taken him in. He goes to Rome a lot, and I used to bring him to all my events, and now I have to request him from the Vatican which is really <laughs> kind of tough. Well, because the Catholic Church, they still uh, participate in exorcisms, they right? They do. That's interesting. So paranormal activity plays a role in the Catholic Church? I mean, they they are obviously hiring this person you know to do something. Oh, there. well, he's doing God's work. He's not hired. He does it all for free. And it's um, they don't necessarily believe in ghosts. They believe most activity is demonic. Uh, and even he kind of has that belief and thought system, but, uh, I still am really good friends with him and he'll, he'll come to investigations and participate and counsel, but he won't actually investigate. He won't do EVP sessions. He won't hold any equipment. He won't partake, but he will discuss his faith and his belief system. And, and he's told me some things and I've experienced some things with him where I'm, like life-changing things, and it's it's out there. Well, let, let's just jump right to that for a moment. Yeah. Life-changing things mm-hmm. that you've experienced through your work. I mean, do any come to mind? Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, I've had moments... 
I think that the the biggest thing for me was there was a time where I, s- I switched from searching for experiences for myself to helping people who were having strange experiences. And then the eventual progression was helping these things, these entities. And that's kind of where I am now. Or I'm happy to, to educate people and answer their questions. But ultimately, I've had so many of these things ask for help and ask for things like prayer or ask for assistance or for me to get a message across or they're clearly wanting to interact and I want to know why and I want to help them. So how are you hearing them ask these things now? Uh, We do a lot of um, EVP work, which basically we run a digital voice recorder and um, just ask questions and they talk and you can hear them. Either you'll hear them with your ears or you'll play it back and you'll hear them. But what about like people that have passed on or hugely emotional things that you've experienced? Uh, I think that probably one of the most emotional times for me was at Waverly Hills in Louisville, Kentucky. And this is a tuberculosis hospital where probably something like 30, 35,000 people died in that place. And this was when they thought that humidity actually helped tuberculosis. It helped tuberculosis progress. It was not uh, an ideal place for them. And so they were bringing them all to these hospitals in the South and So there's this place in Kentucky um, where people were dying at such an incredible rate that they started taking them out this, they had this back supply tunnel out the back of the uh, hospital. They didn't want the other patients to see how many people were being brought out every day. So they ended up calling this the death chute because they would bring the bodies out there all day. Um, And so this place, I've investigated it on a number of occasions over the years and it was the place where I got one of my first just very clear EVPs and it was I was in a room by myself on the first floor and I felt that feeling that heavy feeling and I knew something was in the room with me and I started asking questions and all I got was this woman's voice and this whisper and she just asked me where did I go you know she wanted to know where she was where had she gone and I I still get chills when I think about it. And so I went back then years later and did another investigation there. And we went into the nurse's wing, which no one had investigated before. And this was when we started communicating with knocks. And these things started knocking on the walls. And you know, you're in an old building and you think, oh, knocks. So yeah. I started asking, you know, if that's you and you want to talk, knock twice. And I'd hear it, knock, knock. And I'd say, okay. And so we started asking a lot of questions. And we'd say, okay, knock once for yes, twice for no. And these knocks were just spot on. And it went on for two or three hours and just had this incredible conversation with these things. And they were so desperate to talk. And again, this was one of the first instances where something asked for us to pray for them. And so we prayed. And as we were praying, the knocks just completely stopped. And then as we said, amen, the knocks just started all around us, behind us, on the ceiling, on the floor, on the windows, just knocking all around us. Wow. And eventually we had to leave. It was the end of the night. It was like yeah. four or five in the morning. And I was, I was really emotional because I could just sense their desperation. And we were walking down the hallway and they just knocked along the hallway, the oh, whole the way, way down. down. And I got back to my hotel room that morning and I'm trying to go to sleep and I hear on my wall, Right. And they're knocking. And I'm like, gosh, they followed me back. They're, yes. You know, that was one of the, the most intense experience. And that was really, I think, probably when I changed to really wanting to help them. Because I have yeah. never felt such incredible guilt as and, when I walked out of that And there's building. the question, why couldn't they get out? And that's just it. And this was the nurse's wing. So are these nurses that were helping them and they felt like their job wasn't done? And so they were, or were they staying with patients that are lingering? It was one of those things. And then you think, you know, I don't want to be that person one day. You know, I don't, right. and, and, and I don't want my loved ones to be like that. So why is this happening? And, but as long as we have existed, people have had these questions and they've had these experiences yeah. and do I ever hope to solve that? I mean, I probably won't. Well, we were counting on you. <laughs> no pressure. Do you believe you've helped uh, anyone achieve resolution? Uh, I don't know resolution. I think I've helped them know they're not alone. And I think I've kind of let them know that we know they're there and we're not just abandoning them and that we're trying. And I think that's enough sometimes. Um, you know, some of these places I've gone into, 
no one's been in there for 10 years. And so the fact that I pop in and, and at first they can be very, very shy and they don't want to interact, but then once they start talking, they're very eager. Um, and I think maybe I give them some hope and I hope it's not false hope. So now if we juxtapose it to your uh, demonologist friend, Mm -hmm. he would believe that these are all demons. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I have seen him, um, I saw him perform, well, I didn't, I wasn't in the room when he did it, but I saw him, actually someone we both know, he performed an exorcism on this person who for years and years was just plagued with back pain and issues and, and problems with like addiction and, um, and Adam took one look at him and he said, there's something with you and it's been with you for a long time. And they went into a room by themselves and he performed an exorcism on this person and that person came out and they looked 15 years younger. And I tell you... You were in the next room over when this exorcism happened. And it was the most insane thing. They walked different. Their skin was different. And I will say they are more successful now than they have ever been in their life. Ever been. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it was really crazy to watch because I could see it on their, in their face. What is the process to exercise someone? I don't know. You don't know. Mm -mm. That was part of the deal. You Mm -hmm. couldn't be present for that. I've been there when he's performed exorcisms on buildings, which is he reads from certain things and there's holy water involved. And, and I can, feel it lift so he received training to be able to do an exorcism and that is Mm -hmm. through the vatican yeah Mm -hmm. but his belief still is that that none of these things belong here and none of these things Mm -hmm. should be here i mean i think he he thinks they belong here in that it's kind of a yin and a yang you know good and evil type thing because he believes he has two angels with him at all times and that when he walks in the room he is like a a I don't know what, the, but when he walks in the room, they know that he's there. And so he thinks there's good and evil, but I don't right. think he believes that angels, I think he, that he thinks they visit, but I don't think that they attach to people or linger. Uh, okay. Then now another set of questions. Does he believe he was born with two angels or was that uh, something that was bestowed upon him through his relationship with the Vatican or whatever higher authority? That I don't know. Yeah. And then do you believe that anyone can communicate with paranormal creatures? I do. I think that, um, I think they're more open to you if, you're not mocking them or being condescending or talking to them like they're three years old, which I see so many people doing. <laughs> and, you know, you just have to remember, it's like us sitting at the table chatting right now. It's just, yeah. they're people and you have to talk to them like they're there yeah. in the flesh. And that's when you're going to get a response and, you know, just show them respect and anyone can do it. I tell people, you know, every phone has a recording capability. If I'm in a place and I get that feeling, I'll just turn on the recorder on my phone and start asking questions. You don't need a lot of crazy gadgetry or anything. You don't need a Ouija board. <laughs> you know, you can, it's, I do recommend flashlights if you're going to go out in the dark, but other than that, <laughs> you, you're good. It's, you don't need a ton of stuff. So this whole line of conversation started with the Ouija board conversation, mm-hmm. and we talked about passions on each side of it. There is the other side, the non-believer side, and they're pretty violent about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. I understand that there were some organizations that were set up just with the intent of disproving things that happen on ghost hunters. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, do you have a word on that? Have they had any luck? Well, I mean, they're very clever with their YouTube editing and and such. You know, they'll look for every little, any little thing in the show that doesn't match. They accuse fakery instantly. And, you know, there was one of the most famous ones was Meatloaf was on the show with us a couple of times. He's a huge fan of ghosts. (laughs) So he came out with us and he... um, he had a water bottle and he set it on the windowsill or, or somewhere in this bathroom. And when he set it in the bathroom, the window was down. And so part of what happened was he came back and his water bottle was gone and he was convinced something had taken it. And so the next night the crew comes in and they have to remember what happened when we were actually investigating and they shoot B-roll. So we were in uh, Thousand Islands, New York in the middle of summer. So they're shooting their B-roll the next night, but when they shot their B-roll, the window was open. And so all these people watching see the shot of meatloaf setting down his water bottle and the windows closed. And then the next shot is the B roll from the next night with the window open. And then for people out there who don't know what is B roll, it's just establishing shots, you know, because they can't 
film, you know, they, they get a shot of the water bottle, of a water bottle sitting there in between so you can see where it was, you know, just kind of filler. Yeah. Um, you know, exterior shots of the house, you know, sweeping shots of the room that we're in. Because when they're filming us, they're just aimed at us. So you don't have yeah. a sense of where we are and, and where we're positioned. So they come in the next night or a couple nights later and shoot some B-roll is what they call. So they shot that and, and all these people cried foul online. Oh my, the window was open and you know, this, somebody must have stolen it. And, but in actuality it was the next night. And so that was, it's that kind of stuff. And when I first started the show, I'd get so angry, but then I just realized, and, and I commented on that and they deleted my comment. I gave them their explanation and they deleted it. And that's when I realized that those people don't want to hear the truth. They are just trying to get attention by, you know, Raining on our parade. Yeah. yeah. People don't like to hear it, but I do think that paranormal investigating is a belief system and it's it's yeah. it's practically a religion. And it's putting a lot of faith in stuff you can't prove all the time and you're looking for little miracles and um there's a lot in common with religion. Why do people not like to hear that? Because that to me is pretty common sense. Because they like to believe there's a scientific explanation for paranormal activity. And I think that eventually it could be explained. I think quantum physics gets in. Yeah, there might be a scientific explanation for it. I think there is, um, potentially. But in the meantime, it's very faith-based. And, you know, you're really putting yourself out there when you believe in ghosts. But you believe progress is being made on that scientific front? Oh, yes. I know that I, I know that they have created ghosts in the lab, supposedly. I, mean, I haven't got, I haven't, this is something that just happened recently, so I have not read this report or watched the YouTube video. Wow. <laughs> but uh, apparently, I think that it's probably the feeling of a ghost or, or something along wow. those lines. So I think there are, there. I mean, it could be. I mean, we are supposedly energy. Well, w- one of the coolest things about this building is, number one, that it may contain ghosts, mm-hmm. but also that so many people come through it, use the building, and then go on to do other things. You're a notable example because you spent a lot of time here, and you've yeah. gone on to do great things. Yeah. You mentioned the Today Show. You mentioned Meatloaf being on the show. <laughs> Meatloaf. Do you have any other kind of neat, wow, I can't believe this is happening, career moments? There's been a few of them. I mean, I remember when we filmed our 100th episode live special on the Saturday Night Live stage. You know, I'm sitting on the Saturday Night Live stage thinking this is really happening was right now. Was the Saturday now. Night Live cast there and all that? No, it was just, it was, uh, it was during the week and they had, they were, some of them were rehearsing and yeah. stuff. And so, um, so we did So it was basically a them. sound stage for hire kind of? I don't think many people get to do what we did right. on that stage. Wow. So it was, it was really cool. And then there's been... And that was the Alcatraz episode, right? Yes. And yeah. so they cut into us live on stage answering questions during the episode. Well, and that wait, was, wait, wait, wait a minute. Because the Saturday Night Live stage is in an old building, is it, it not? It is. And they think it's haunted. <laughs> that's what I was going <laughs> to ask. <laughs> so but that's, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's been... It's. It seems... I, I don't say it, that I take it for granted, but I just feel like such a normal person. And so sometimes it's just very surreal. I feel like I'm just kind of dabbling in that stuff that I don't really belong there. It's just kind of a phase and then I'll eventually I'll go back to normal life. So when you guys came here, mm-hmm. there was action all over the room and you guys were getting some good hits. I went down into the basement. I can't remember who that was. That wasn't you, I don't think, in the basement. They were doing EVPs mm-hmm. and just a bunch of our friends were there. Yes. And I came walking down and they said, well, and here's Tom Gaffey. Is there anything you want to say to him? And they quieted down and listened. And it said, get out. (laughs) You know, and I got a little testy and they said, Tom, we're not here to argue with the ghosts. But get out. What would you take from a thing like that? Maybe that's their area. It might be. And and I've always felt that it's been a little bit negative down there. But work has to be done. And we are uh, we are working. (laughs) What are you going to do? Just leave them down there. Well, I mean, you know, I, you know, I got to come down there. Look, I got to make sure the sump pump is working. I've got to make sure the heater's working. 2010 is when you're referring. About two years into being on Ghost Hunters. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess yeah. uh, in addition to being on that show, you've also gone around and hosted these events. Yes. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, that's really what I've been focusing my time on. Because it was I, a fun night. Yeah. And I, and that was a, a great one because it was small. I knew a lot of the people. You know, it's kind of a little reunion. And, and this is a great place for and so I've, I love to travel and I love going to haunted places. And so I kind of 
merged the two and I started this company called Strange Escapes where we basically go to these haunted places and plan these kind of paranormal weekends. And so it's kind of half vacation, half ghost hunt. You know, the first night's always like a meet and greet and a cocktail hour and entertainment. And then the next day we lecture and then the next night we investigate. And so it's so much fun for me because I was uh, in project management and event planning before. So I get to be my OCD self and plan things. But then I also get to look for ghosts and and most importantly, I get to work from home and stay with my daughter. So I have my office at home and I run the whole thing. And then I can bring her with me to all these. Let's talk about this building and its history and all of that. You've got Houdini. You've got seances. Oh, yeah. And it goes way back. Take us back. It's been eating at me for a while now. So we had, uh, when I first got back here in 1983, I grew up in, in this building quite a bit from junior high all the way through high school. Then left it for 10 years and found myself back here for what I thought was going to be a one-year only experience and that was in 1983 and so i've stayed my overstayed my welcome i think but um shortly after i got back here a friend of mine who was a tile setter was working with another tile setter who was psychic and this psychic had told my friend uh, geez you're you know there's something about you in a big building and somebody's trying to actually get to get a hold of you in this building I said, what are you talking about well what do you know about a big building well yeah, hang out at the Phoenix Theater. Oh, that's it. It's a theater. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know what? And then he explained that he was a student at the Berkeley Psychic Institute. And he was a student because he was having so much problem with energies. He was, a, he was an energy vacuum almost all his life. And it was making him sick. And it was uh, making his life hard. Somebody had told him, you need to learn how to control this energy. He went to the Berkeley Psychic Institute and started learning about that stuff. Now, this was in like 84 or 85, I think. And he uh, asked my friend, could I come and do a reading in the Phoenix? Well, we were thrilled. Absolutely, come and do a reading in the Phoenix. So he chose a Friday night after the movie had gotten out while we still had people in the lobby because nobody leaves the Phoenix right after the show usually. And so the lobby was still full of kids and people, and we came down here and sat on the stage right where we're sitting now. And he and his instructor were using what looked like a car antenna. And this thing was huge in big, spinning big circles. And as the energy would collect, and I could feel it, I was getting hot, uh, my headache was coming, uh, all of the stuff that I've always attributed to what feels like kind of a spiritual thing or a, a ghost thing, it was, it was all around us, and it was hot and stifling. It was, my God, look at the energy in here. Big Chris, the guy that hangs out on the stage, we named him Chris years ago. He was here. And this is not a, a live this person. Is not, this is, would not be considered a live person. <laughs> okay. There's a big, big Chris. We named him a long time ago. He'd been around forever, at least as far as my memory goes here. And so I asked him, what? And the lady from the bathroom, boy, she came swooping down, and you could tell it was that energy from that bathroom. Oh, my gosh, it's the lady from the bathroom. How? What, what are these people doing here? And he said, well... You know, the deal is that some of them are confused. Some of them are, are, are not ready to pass over for whatever reason. They can't necessarily stay at the places that they used to stay at because they don't like the family there. It's all changed. This is a place they remembered, and there's still space they can come to. And they still feel welcome here, which they are. That's the way we operate. <laughs> Everybody's welcome. And then after a little while, he said, okay, now check it out. And this thing is spinning these big circles. He goes, wow, there's the light. If anybody wants to go, now's the time. I, well, you're not chasing them out of you. No, no, it's a choice. And boom, you could just feel the air got clear. It got cooler in here. It was You could breathe again. And a lot of energy left. It was, wow, that was cool. <laughs> and a lot of energy left. But apparently, uh, as energy leaves, energy comes back into this place. Oh, We've yeah. got people coming and going here all the time. But the thing that's been troubling me was uh, last year, our, our psychic friend returned, and now this has been you know, 30 years later, and he came to tell me, Tom, um, this is not right. What do you mean it's not right? It's, you can't have a place where you, these spirits are collecting. You need to move them on. This is not good for them. It's not good for you. It's just not good. I've changed. I've learned a lot about being a psychic and a lot about spirits, and we need to move them on. Well, that is not what we do at the Phoenix. Boy, that I'm, sounds an awful lot like things that people say to you about actual people <laughs> who spend time in the building. Doesn't that, that's isn't the that point. funny? When people come to the Phoenix, they come here when they need it. And when they're done, 
It's almost like Nanny McPhee sometimes, though. You know? <laughs> you know, when you're done, you move on. And I think that they will leave when they're ready. And I, I do, too. I've had too many instances where people have said they've moved something on, and then I come back a week later, and they're definitely still, still there. there. Yeah. So I, I hate giving them that false hope and that false promise yeah. that you're going to be able to move them on when we don't have any real proof that we can. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. But this guy was now kind of militant about it. He's, he's changed his opinion. He doesn't believe that we should allow them to stay here, and it's become his job to move them on. And the rule always has been here, uh, as long as I remember, this is not my place, and it's not mine to decide who gets to stay or who has to leave. Unless you do something so egregious, and even if you do, I've got to leave an opening. If you feel you need to come back, there's got to be a way to work it out so that that individual can use this place to finish what they need to finish. And that's for the people that are alive. And I think that's the way it is for the people that are ghosts. But the rule is the same for everybody. If you chase somebody out of here, you will be chased out yourself. And I've seen that happen many times over the years. And it would be that way for a ghost. If you chase somebody out of here, you have to follow the same rules because this building has its own spirit and its own feeling and its own rules about how it will allow itself to be used. And, And that's why I feel comfortable being around what might be ghosts. Because, quite frankly, they have to follow the same rules that everybody else has to follow here. Because the magic of this building is stronger than any spirit that I've ever come across. John Beck from the Press Democrat wrote an article. And in it, he outlined some of the the notable ghosts and inhabitants of the building. So you mentioned Big Chris, Tom. That's Big a, Chris. That's somebody who occupies this yeah, building. Yeah. He's named after a lumbering cousin of a former Gaffy companion, he Yes, says? Uh, named after a lumbering cousin of the guy who was uh, who brought the psychic in, as a matter of fact. Mm. My friend Jimmy Bedalia, quite frankly. We named it after his cousin. Uh, Chris, because I like his cousin Chris an awful lot. He's just a big, gregarious, uh, jovial, and very friendly individual. This guy on this stage uh, looks to me quite like he did. You've seen a full-bodied apparition. Yeah. So He's always been this way about stuff here, and I'm so glad that we're doing this yeah. right now. <laughs> Here's the deal. It's it's a knowledge. Do you, now, do you mean like, make a statement like, yes, and then, well... Well, he's just always been afraid to commit to his experiences right. here. Well, I don't trust me. <laughs> I don't believe half the things I think I'm saying. You know, you got to remember, one of my favorite lines is, I will never ruin a good story with facts. But <laughs> that's beside the point. There was uh, a guy in the projection booth that a bunch of us saw that was absolutely there was there was a guy there i love that story yes and and then there was a lady that came walking down the stairs one night that just was woof that's just woof. Mm-hmm. wow excuse me ma'am but geez aren't you supposed to be kind of i mean that's really obvious <laughs> wow and so and that, those were full body apparitions but when i'm talking about someone like chris or the little kid it's almost not like you see them. It's like you know them. It's like you know what they look like. You've, it's like a memory you have about how they look and how they appear. And, and Chris, I'm quite clear about, I think, what he looks like, what I've seen him to look like. But I've never seen a full-body apparition of him or a full-body anything of him. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've, I've felt him all the time, and I've, I've heard his footsteps as he's crossed the stage. And I feel that uh, I kind of, I love the guy. And I know more about him than he would like me to know. And it's that part of him that I will never discuss because I've told him I would not. So we won't. And you mentioned the little kid. Uh, The little kid. Is it true that the first night you saw him was after Guar played here? No, um, we we lost one of our Guar security uh, team to that little kid. We were setting up for Guar here one night, and when you set up for Guar, it's late at night because it's uh, we did a show that uh, that night. We cleaned up the theater, and then we have to put plastic down on everything. everything. To everybody who doesn't know who Guar is, Guar they wear these very theatrical outfits. They, An they put people band. in meat grinders. Tom yes. Gappy himself was putting they a meat grinder. out at the audience one night. It was wonderful. <laughs> they chop heads. They spew blood. They shoot. They it's just good heavens it is blood from first note to last note spewed everywhere so you have to put plastic up on all of course our towers we had to protect the towers uh, we had to protect all my equipment so we had one of my security guys was here late with us and he was up on that tower up on the uh, stage right and he lowered the plastic down and we were taping it all off and then he climbed down through the tower and came out into the exit area there, stage right. And as he comes through the curtain at three in the morning, he says, Who's that little kid? What what little kid? 
Well, that little there's a little kid there in that in that. <laughs> well, uh, uh, really? And we all go back there. There's no little kid, and he left that night, quit, and never came yep. back. It we lost him to the kid. A few times. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the little kid, the first time I saw him was actually at the top of the stairs in the upper lobby, and it wasn't a vision of him. It was me realizing what he looks like. It's just all of a sudden I have this memory of who this of what this kid looked like, and and. Uh, I've had a couple incidences where I think I've caught a flash of him here and there. I've heard people say he's up in the balcony a lot. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone we haven't spoken about yet is the old man in the attic. Ah, the old man in the attic, who is also not uh, to be spoken of so much. And, and just recently, we were, yeah, we were raising lights for a show one night, myself and a couple of us, and uh, boom, big footsteps right behind us. We were, it's just one of those things where, boy, we all look at each other. There were three of us up there, and we look at each other and go, oh, well, that was obvious. I mean, good heavens, don't you guys? Are your ghosts? I mean, what are you, aren't you supposed to kind of try and not be felt? But this guy was just, it was huge. But the guy in the attic um, is having a traumatic experience, and he's trying to work through it. And I'm not sure if he's still there anymore or not. Uh, something is up in that attic, if there are ghosts, and uh, because... Boy, I mean, just recently we felt those footsteps. We heard the footsteps. I mean, there they were, right behind us. I don't know if it was the old guy or not. The old guy was a white-haired gentleman, thin, um, probably about five foot ten <laughs> and older, and wearing um, kind of janitor green style clothing. And uh, he's another memory thing. As I watch you talking, I, I see you sort of hesitate in what you put forth because you don't want to betray the trust. I don't want to betray the trust. But, uh, but you yeah. did already commit that the old man in the attic has issues with the idea that he harmed someone. Yeah. But you believe that he did not. I believe he did not. And why yes. do you believe that? Because the psychic that picked him out said that. He goes, you know, that old guy up there thinks that he'd hurt a kid. Uh, when in fact he did not. Uh, I have some theories about what might have occurred, and uh, and someday I intend to write a story about that. So I'm not going to go too deep here. But yeah, and I'm wondering if the connection is with our, our, our the little kid here now and the guy up in the attic. And uh, I'd like to go farther back. I think it was a vaudeville house in those days, and I think it was a backstage accident. Uh, and I've looked. Uh, when I was looking for Chris... To find out what I could find out about Chris, a psychic uh, said to me, you know, um, you want to look in the 1880s, and it wasn't a theater in those days. It was uh, a livery stable or something Mm -hmm. like that. And it turned out it was a livery stable here for a while. So it was a good guess or whatever on that person's part. But I can't find any stories about somebody actually going through what I think might have happened here. It's really tough. I mean, that's one of the things I did with the team for years. I was the the historical researcher. And it's that is a time period that it's really tough to dig up facts. And and you can luck out sometimes and there's a news story or something. But other than that, it's it's not like today where everything is instantly on Facebook 30 seconds later. You know, it was just a story told again and again. And many times it was never committed to paper and you just don't know. But you believe in it was a livery stable that there might have been someone murdered with a knife. Mm, I don't want to go over that. Okay. I really don't. And, You've uh, got a lot out gee, of I, him tonight. Yeah, that, I mean, I'm impressed. That, that was pre- that was previously out there. I'm not introducing okay, yeah. you to the public domain. No, no, no. Um, I just, that was, wow. Yeah. You can thank Katie Watts for including that into Katie her Watts, Argus Courier right. thing. Wow. We'll have okay. her killed. No, uh, no, no. I I can't believe I... So there's a lot. And, and then, yeah. uh, then I assume if you don't want to talk about that, last thing I'll bring up, you probably don't want to talk about the kid getting injured, shaggy hair, maybe yeah. less than five feet. Yeah. You don't want to talk about that. Uh, not particularly because I don't know exactly what that is. Yeah. There is a feeling there. and if In the, the kid, fly area we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, in the fly area. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, uh yeah, and, uh, you know, just, again, now see people will be listening and saying, this guy is crazy. No. And I might be, I don't know, <laughs> that's the problem. But as a matter of fact, you can't change what you believe unless you have some kind of absolute stark proof that, that these feelings inside you are not true. It's really tough to get these feelings out of you and, and prove to yourself that they're not true. So I don't know what to tell you. I just, uh, I've seen and felt. I have these beliefs, and uh, how can I change that? I didn't tell 
any of these stories to the folks who came. I mean, there was maybe a whisper of it here and there, but a lot of it wasn't published. So I, I like them to come in cold yeah. when possible, just to see if anything that we find correlates to Tom's experiences or experiences people have had over the years. And so they pretty quickly picked up on the hot spots on their own. They were in that projection booth very quickly. They were in the basement very quickly, and that's where they were having most experience. I remember being on the stage, and we had footsteps walk across the stage yeah. toward us that night. And so we were experiencing things. I'm getting chills um, right now talking yeah, about it. We were experiencing things um, that... Tom has experienced over the years, but I didn't tell them to expect any of this. So it was interesting how many experiences kind of correlated with that. They were using uh, a static uh, machine up in the upper lobby. Yes. And having a conversation with a kid Mm -hmm. that was apologizing for, for being hurt. Yeah. And that was a tough thing for me to hear, actually. And I think that ties into a story. Uh, that is a, a major part of, of the soul of this building, I think, weirdly enough. I think so. and I, But I think it's important because if we can't cross them over or we don't know that we can, I think it's important for them to get those apologies out or those stories out. And so they know you heard it, even if it seems silly. You know, why would you ever apologize for that? Yeah. But in the time frame or maybe if they worked here or whatever, uh, maybe it was important for him to get that out. So maybe that is some sort of closure you're able to give them. So... Yeah. You have to look at it that way, but it, it was really interesting to investigate. My dad and I were talking. Uh, it's Thanksgiving. He calls Steve. I was coming up this week, and I'll make it up in the next couple of weeks. And uh, there is a friend of his that lives in Ashland now, grew up in Petaluma. And of all things, in the 40s and 50s, it was the woman in the girl's bathroom mm-hmm. that they all knew about. The ghost in the girl's bathroom. And we actually didn't finish talking about her. You believe that... I, you know, it's not the way it was. It certainly, it used to be this, just this white hot uh, hair sticking up on the back of your big energy. She was a huge woman and she may not be there that much if she comes back because every once in a while some girl will get kind of freaked out in there. But it's not like it was. I'm cleaning the bathrooms myself every day, and and it just feels a lot mellower. We'll come back to the building in a second because we are winding down. But, uh, Amy, you and Adam, Mm -hmm. a partner of yours, um, are leaving Ghost Hunters to pursue other things. Yes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it it was uh, at the end of Season 9... I had been on the road at that point for seven years and Adam is a musical theater major. He recently married his partner and and they started a uh, musical theater company called Peregrine Theater in Provincetown, Mass. Um, I had had Charlotte and, you know, she's two now. And we both, in the middle of season nine, we knew we were done. We were just, it had been a long time. We were tired of leaving our family. Nine years. You were on the show for nine years. I was years. on the show for seven years. Seven years. So the show's been on for, um, we just celebrated our 10th year anniversary, wow. but this, we hadn't filmed for almost a year before these last episodes. So I was on the show for seven years traveling and we were just done. And so at the end of season nine, uh, when we found out they got re-signed for season 10, we said, no, thanks. Um, I, we've been focusing, like, we're not opposed to another TV experience. We just want something that doesn't require so much time away yeah. uh, or something that we could bring our loved ones here and there. You know, so that's where we are now, but it's not a huge priority. I'm focusing on Strange Escapes. He's focusing on his theater company. We're focusing on being home with our families, which yeah. is amazing. But you do still work together on these sort of destination things, oh, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we investigate. Yeah. You know, I do investigations at home with local teams or I'll just go out on my own um even in town we've been looking at doing an investigation next week you know so it's just uh you know you still do it because you love it just because the cameras aren't rolling doesn't mean you've stopped but i relish those years and the experiences i had and being on the road and seeing the things i saw it was huge and it was an experience that i will never regret or forget just so much happened you talked about the norwich hospital Mm -hmm. demolition what would happen to the ghosts in this building or the ghosts in that building? Yeah. If this building were to be demolished, mm-hmm. what would happen? Well, there's a few different theories. Uh, some people believe that they still see the building as it was and they still habitat that a- or, you know, they still are in that area um, as though the building is there. Wow. And they go throughout. Because that, sometimes when you... Um, 
when you go through and, and change a structure, you know, you move a door or you oh, put a hallway true. somewhere that wasn't there before. You know, they'll walk through a wall that ha- used to be a hallway, you know, yes. because it still appears to them as it did then. Uh, but there's also the theory that they will just decide to hang out in whatever building comes next. Um, that's happened many times over the years. Uh, some people believe they move to nearby buildings, and that's happened over the years. You know, so I've yeah. seen it all. Uh, it really, you know, they are, if they are intelligent entities, they'll go wherever they want. And if it's a residual type haunt, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Um, but if it's intelligent and it has free thought, then it's going to go wherever it wants to. Wow. Conversely, if the Phoenix lasts forever, and Tom, you believe it will. Oh, I'd sure like it to go another hundred years at least. Is it possible that some ghosts don't move on? They just remain? Yes, I think so. But I think that you don't see caveman ghosts. So it makes you wonder, is there a time where that energy just peters out? Is there yeah. a time where it just stops? And so I, I don't know. I don't know how That's long they'll be here. Yeah. Interesting thought. Well, Tom Gaffey. <laughs> Jamagus? Do you have any closing thoughts about this entire subject? <laughs> well, no, this subject. It, it was just always great to get Amy back in the building. So <laughs> that was, as an excuse to bring Amy back, I'm thrilled we did this. Amy, do you believe that you will do another ghost hunt in this building someday? Oh, absolutely. Oh, boy. 100%. Yeah, sure. definitely. It's it's all been about timing. Um, now yeah. that I don't have to film uh, as of yet, it's... Definitely something that I will explore. I think it'd be fun. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you you came a long way to make it here tonight. Of course. And we really appreciate it. Tom and I talk a lot about you and your your travels and your accomplishments. So it's really a thrill to be able to sit here and talk about all of it. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. Always. And may all of your ghosts be semi friendly. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And hopefully we will see you again uh, for another ghost hunt in the future at a date to be announced. Yes, definitely. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys. Thanks a lot. We say good night to everyone. Good night. Good night. <laughs>